Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. It's been a little while. It's been nearly two weeks since I last talked to you guys back from Vegas, back from the NFL Draft. But before we get into the full seven-round recap of the Washington Commanders Draft Hall, I wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds in the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's future bets. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. So let's jump right in to today's pod. It's going to be a full, like I said, a seven round recap of the Commanders Draft. And first things first, I will say that I want to stay as positive as possible. I know how negative the draft landscape, draft Twitter, social media, how you guys can get out there. And there's plenty of negativity that have surrounded this franchise since the turn of the millennium. And we all understand that. So I'm going to try to stay as positive as possible here. But I do have questions regarding some of the player fits and where these guys went from Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera's draft hall. And with that, I wanted to jump right in and talk about their first overall pick in this draft, which was Jahan Dotson at number 16 overall wide receiver out of Penn State after trading back from the number 11 overall spot. And first things first with this, I was more happy with them trading back grabbing two extra day two picks than I was with the pick itself, even though I am supremely high on Jahan Dotson. I think he's going to be an excellent fit in this offense. Chris Olave was all the smoke coming out of Ashburn about 48 hours until the draft. That's who I was, you know, I was hearing if they were on the board at 11, which they were. Chris Olave was there. I think when they traded back to 16, they thought that Chris Olave was still going to be on the board. Chris Olave did in fact, go with the number 11 overall pick, but went to the New Orleans Saints and not the Washington Commanders. So with Washington on the board at 16, took Jahan Dotson. Again, wide receiver out of Penn State, someone that will be able to win at all three levels, a fluid route runner. And I do appreciate with Martin Mayhew and the receivers that he's added in the last couple of years, guys that can separate. And as we know, the NFL game is all about separation to be able to create those open throwing windows for your quarterbacks. And watching Jahan Dotson at Penn State doesn't matter who he was facing. And within that Penn State offense, and Sean Clifford is, and nicely put, not the best quarterback in the world for the Nittany Lions. And Jahan was consistently able, similarly to Terry in the NFL, as far as consistently being able to get open despite teams doubling him and bracketing him, rotating that safety over the top within all those plays. And I appreciated that about Dotson's game because he's not physically imposing like a Drake London. He's not as fast as a Jameson Williams or a Garrett Wilson. But he's someone that has short hands, someone that had just a few drops last year. I don't think that will be an issue at the NFL level at all. And he's tough as nails, despite him not being the biggest guy in the world. So I appreciate that a ton about Jahan's game and him 
opposite of Terry McLaurin, and you're going to get Deami Brown back healthy and Curtis Samuel as well. So right there, that's four receivers that you can look at Washington's depth chart and say, Carson Wentz has legit, hopefully, if they can stay healthy and mesh with each other, four talents on the perimeter that are also versatile and where they align. Because I would like to see Jahan Dotson line up in the slot, line up on the outside. Saw a couple times, I guess, touchdown run against Maryland in the red zone on a direct snap running out to the left. Those are some different things that Jahan can do. And I think it's an excellent add at 16 overall. And we're going to get into the picks that they took with those extra two mid-round selections. But to kick off the draft, to get a guy like Jahan Dotson, an alpha on the outside, a my ball attitude guy, catches with his hands. I absolutely love that about him. He's going to be physical on the outside and someone that will also come in right away and garner a lot of targets and a lot of looks because a lot of the eyes of the defense are going to be on number 17 on Terry McLaurin on the opposite side. So to kick off the first round, Jahan Dotson, wide receiver from Penn State, was a big, big win for me. So moving on to the second round, this is where my questions start to come in. And I want this kid to prove me wrong, but you're sitting at 47 overall. And Jaquan Brisker from Penn State is on the board. Now, I know you guys out there were like, oh, we're not going to go Penn State back-to-back picks. But there's a massive need at the Buffalo nickel roll right now. And you, a lot of people out there don't understand the importance of this in Jack Del Rio's defense, especially with so much of the ass at the second level. And I know Landon Collins stepped up towards the last part of last year, and there's been some rumblings that he may come back. I don't see that happen, happening. Everything that I've heard is it's not going to happen, but remains to be seen. But with Jaquan Brisker on the board at 47 overall, Washington went with Federian Mathis, interior D lineman from the University of Alabama. So another another guy from that Crimson Tide pipeline that Washington seemingly taps into at least once a year. But if Martin Mayhew within that war room gave a one-way street for everybody, Ron Rivera, Scott Turner, Jack Del Rio, said, look, we're taking a D lineman here. To take Federian Mathis, a rotational right now, three-tech defensive tackle. Now, he had some sack production last year. He almost totaled double-digit sacks for Alabama last fall. But the only way that this pick fits for me is if Deron Payne is on the way out. Whether that's in a trade, because they've been throwing names around for multiple seasons now. Remember, they tried to trade him for Russell Wilson. They tried to trade him for Matthew Stafford last year. And there's already been some rumblings this year of them trying to move on. But... I get you lost Manionitis, you lost Tim Settle, you need depth there. The only guys currently on the roster behind Payne and Allen before they took Mathis were Tyler Clark and David Botta. So I understand the addition there. But at 47 overall, I am not drafting a rotational three-tech defensive tackle with the massive needs that you have. And like I said, if it was a one-way street, then why not go Travis Jones? Defensive tackle from UConn that was completely dominant at UConn. And even though there were concerns about the level of competition, when you brought him down and watched him at the Senior Bowl live, he was completely unblockable from anybody at the event. Someone with a high floor and a high ceiling. Now with Mathis, an older player, a senior, that was kind of the trend of Rivera's picks this year, is grabbing older players with Power 5 experience and being able to come in right away with tons of snaps under the belt and being able to have that easy transition to the next level because... He believes, and I'm sure that Washington's window for success is right now within a roster that we thought would be a quarterback away over the last couple of seasons. But for me, at 47 overall, I think he's someone that will get a a lot of snaps, but within an even front, it's Payne and Allen. And usually those guys play 
three downs. They do a lot of different things, both in the run game and in the passing game. And he's not as, you know, Mathis is not as athletic as John Allen or Deron Payne. So right now, it's it's a questionable pick for me. Again, trying to stay positive, but Buffalo Nickel right there at 47 overall with Jaquan Brisker waiting to fall into your hands or grabbing a guy like Troy Anderson, who you know, I've, you know, all you guys know that I've been super high on this entire draft cycle, just went a few picks later to the Atlanta Falcons. But at 47 overall with Federi Mathis, I just have a few questions. So moving on to the next pick, another product of the Alabama pipeline, running back Brian Robinson Jr. And I've come around a little bit on Brian Robinson over these last couple days from my immediate reaction. That's something that I would advise all of us to do instead of jumping at immediate you know, knee-jerk reactions is to kind of take a couple of days and then look back, especially during this draft process, because right now all these names are on paper, right? Ferdinand Mathis could, could develop into an all-pro and no one's going to say a thing, right? Or Brian Robinson can come in and, and start at running back right away and take over snaps for Antonio Gibson. And if he produces like I expect him to and Ron Rivera expects him to and Martin Mayhew, Mayhew expects him to, then no one's going to talk about taking him in the third round. But we knew that Washington did their, did their due diligence on the running back position during this pre-draft process, whether it's at the Combine, down in Mobile, out at the Shrine Bowl, top 30 visits. They had a lot of guys in the building. All of the headlining names in this class, Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Brian Robinson, all had pre-draft visits to Ashburn. So with that, that's obvious tea leaves that Washington was interested in potentially grabbing a running back. Now, would, it, would anybody expect there to be on day two? I wouldn't have predicted that. I was trying to think potentially moving into day three, late day three, grabbing a Pierre Strong who went to the Patriots or potentially even maybe a, a Tyler Beatty, smaller running back, very similar to kind of J.D. McKissick who went to the Ravens late on day three. So someone like that to kind of come in and give some pop, even as a Quandre White running back from South Carolina that ultimately went to the Patriots as well. But personally, Brian Robinson was RB1. On my board, and I think he's a heck of a talent. And the biggest thing for me with his overall selection is a wake up call for Antonio Gibson. Because as we know, ball security is job security. And when it comes to Antonio Gibson and putting the ball on the ground the last few years, and that started out with week one against the Chargers, fumbling their own red zone, and trying to, you know, go down the field and, and win the ball game in week one, you got to keep the ball in your hands. And I know there's some questions for him coming out of school at Memphis where he was a wide receiver and coming to the NFL transitioning to the running back spot where he has these designated touches as the running back 20, 25 times a game where he's getting handoffs instead of catching it, you know, in the air, it's different. And you got guys, you know, bearing down your neck at 310, 315 pounds. And you got these linebackers coming through the hole that can run four, 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 five. It's different than flexing out on the outside and you're on, you're working on linebackers are working on safeties. That's a different role for Antonio Gibson these last few years as a running back. I think the potential is still there for Antonio to develop into a potential top five running back in this league. I do. I think he's outstanding as a dual threat running back. He can holster your early work on early downs and get you chunks and yards because he's a big body over 200 plus pounds, similarly to Robinson. And then he flex him out with his experience as a wide receiver, like we saw against the Bills in the screenplay on a designated touch taking the ball 60 yards on a screenplay. Not many guys can do that in the NFL. So for me though, Ron Rivera, all he wants is competition at every single spot. And like Mathis, adding competition to Deron Payne and John Allen, now you bring in Brian Robinson from a big time blue blood power five program in Alabama. He's a bruiser. I hate the comparisons that a lot of 
you know, individuals have made out there about Brian Robinson to Peyton Barber. That's a disrespect to Brian Robinson's game. He's much more than a goal line punch. He's a physical back, 100%. He'll also stick his face in and pass pro. All you guys follow me on social media, on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. I was tweeting out a video just a couple days ago of him working at the Senior Bowl in one-on-one pass pro situations against Georgia linebacker Channing Tindall, where he absolutely blew up Tindall. That's an effort thing. And Brian Robinson is tough as nails, and he'll earn his reps, earn his, you know, his standing in the locker room with a veteran group, a veteran offense by doing that. And looking at him in, as a ball carrier and comparing him to Gibson and comparing him to potentially the role that we know J.D. McKissick could have. And even when Antonio Gibson was out, whether it was last year or the year before when he got hurt against the Steelers in Pittsburgh, he's able to come in and holster a little bit of the workload as far as a runner and be able to carry the ball 10, 15 times. Do you want him doing that? I don't think so. Maybe that's the role that they envision Brian Robinson having, taking those carries. But McKissick is going to have a massive role in this offense as well because we know how dynamic he is in the passing game. So for me, Brian Robinson is a heck of an addition. Um, I like the fit. I, I, I kind of interested to see how Scott Turner deploys the offensive workload for Gibson, Robinson, and McKissick. A three-headed backfield is a lot of touches to maneuver, especially you have three talents, but that's a good problem to have, right? You never, you're never going to complain about having too much talent or too much depth at a position. And I think when you look at Brian Robinson, Tony Gibson, Jenny McKissick, it's a heck of an RB's room. And I'm really excited to see him work throughout camp into the preseason and develop, you know, a guy that should earn some snaps in his rookie season. So with day one and day two over, moving on to the fourth round and pick was Percy Butler, safety out of Louisiana Lafayette. And this is another pick that I've come around on just a little bit. And initially, I thought of Percy Butler as a guy that has extreme range, the center field and the roof of the defense. And right now, you're looking at Washington's secondary depth. And you have Cam Curl, and you have Bobby McCain, and I'm higher on many than Jeremy Reeves. Um, they re-upped Troy Apke as a guy that could be a special teams ace, like we've been you know, talking about for a long while now. Whether he actually develops into that remains to be seen. This may be his last year in Washington, or this pick may be a major eye-opener for him. But he offers very little value on defense. But you look at a guy like Percy Butler, and he offers a ton of value on both ends, defense and special teams. And you watch him at Louisiana Monroe and comparing him to the other safeties in this class as guys that can roam sideline to sideline and work in man down near the line of scrimmage and then come back and play some single high for you. His range is outstanding and his athletic ability is also outstanding. And initially when they took him off the board, I had questions because of taking Derek Forrest last year out of Cincinnati. And where does that leave him? Or where does that leave Kalik Hudson, who I know played that jack spot at Michigan that Dax Hill played, where he had some of those hybrid roles at the second level. And then as a safety kind of rolling back and doing some things on the outside. Now, Hudson wasn't kind of the freak athlete that Dax Hill was, or even comparable to what Percy Butler is. But I'm actually really excited to see Percy Butler and kind of see his game progress because he will come in right away and I expect him to be a special teams 
core player. And we obviously know that that impacts an NFL game massively in, you know, in comparison to the college game where it's a little bit kind of dumbed down to where the, you know, offenses score 60, 65 points a game. Sometimes you're not going to have that right in the, in the NFL. So special teams matters and having those guys on the outside, those, you know, those days of, of Lorenzo Alexander in Washington, um, you know, you look back at New England with Matthew Slater still there and the kind of impact he's had or Andre Roberts, these guys are special teams, core players that have carved out roles for them in the NFL that have been around for a long time and in the past. And Percy has that, again, and will offer some special teams value at the safety spot. And whether he wants to work in on sub packages, whether they want to throw in some three safety looks, or I know Rivera talked a little bit after the draft about potentially throwing him in at Buffalo Nickel. I'm not sure about that right now. I know he'll stick his face in the mud near the line of scrimmage and make tackles for you. I don't have a concern with that at all, but I didn't see that at all on tape at Louisiana, um, you know, coming down to the line of scrimmage, blowing up blocks, making tackles for loss. I saw him more towards the roof of the defense, roaming side and a sideline. And I think that's where he will have a role in Washington. And I'm actually fine with this pick of Percy Butler, someone that has extreme range, excellent aerial ability. He's going to be, make, be able to make some plays in the football. And again, it adds competition for guys like Cam Curl, Bobby McCain, who's you know getting a little older, and Derek Forrest, who they just drafted last year. And it kind of opens their eyes as, hey, this is a business and this is a not-for-long league, as we know. And guys in here come in here, take my snaps. And that will bring the best out of everybody. So Percy Butler here, safety in the fourth round is a pick that I've definitely become higher on in these last few days. Then on to the fifth round. And this is where we get fun in this draft process because day three, later into day three, this is where championships are won or lost. This is the guts of your roster. And in the fifth round, first pick in the fifth round is quarterback Sam Howell from North Carolina. Now, we knew that Washington did their due diligence just like they did with the running backs with quarterbacks. They were at Desmond Ritter's Pro Day. They were at Malik Willis's Pro Day. They had meetings with all of these guys at the Combine. They hosted some for top 30 visits. And Sam Howell arguably is my favorite pick of this entire draft because you look at Carson Wentz, and this is a year that he has to prove whether he belongs in the NFL or not. And I'm sure if this season doesn't work out, he may go somewhere and be a backup. But this is his last season potentially to prove to NFL scouts somewhere else that he may be auditioning for, that he belongs in the league. And every single throw that he makes this year needs to be microscoped. We know it's going to be microscoped from us, the media, and I know you guys out there as the fans, every single throw. You know, that first game that Carson Wentz has potentially two picks, three picks, you know, we're going to be calling for, for his neck, right? And that's, I believe, how it should be. Again, just like with Percy Butler's selection with the depth in the secondary, it's a not-for-long league. Brian Robinson with Gibson McKissick, not-for-long. You're not producing. It's a also, what have you done for me lately league? And for Carson Wentz, that 2017 pre-MVP season before he tore his ACL and the Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, you know, he was he was outstanding. But since then, what have you done for me lately? He's bounced around the league. He was benched. Jalen Hurts took over in Philadelphia. Then he went to Indianapolis. And now he's in the burgundy and gold. And I'm remaining positive. I think the kid has still has a, a ton of talent. But with Sam Howell now in the building, it's a guy that's improved dramatically just in this last year. It was easy to microscope him as a prospect in 2020 when he had Daz Newsome and Deami Brown and Michael Carter and Javante Williams in the backfield. He's working behind a good offensive line. But this year, 
North Carolina's offensive line was below average. Now, granted, they had two offensive linemen in Josh Azudu and Marcus McKeithen drafted both by the New York Giants in this draft. But Sam Howell carried North Carolina single-handedly a lot of the time to six wins this fall. And one thing that makes me so impressed with him is his toughness. You watch that game against Pitt and Kenny Pickett, and he battled his tail off. And I know that that's what scouts want to see is a guy that can battle through adversity. Because we know in the NFL level, especially as a quarterback, you got to put throws behind you. If you throw a pick, put it behind you. You run the ball, if you fumble, put it behind you. It's a next play mentality. And Sam Howell showed that throughout his career at Carolina and his ability to add the run game in. And not just running as an you know as an escape artist and trying to get two, three yards. Running with power, running with some pop and some actually some sneaky burst in space and, and making linebackers miss. Now, no, by no means is he a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson or, or even an RG3, but, you know, he's he's a guy that could you know, show some wiggle and show some maneuverability in space if you want somebody with some decent athleticism, uh, probably more so than Carson Wentz. Now, he's not Taylor Heineke, and, you know, in that aspect, but someone that can you know, tuck the ball down and give you some yards if needed, whether on design runs or, you know, kind of the play blows up, he's going off script. Sam Howell will be able to do that. And he showed that consistently improving upon that from his 2020 season when he was able to sling it downfield and sit back in the pocket for three or four seconds to Diami and to Daz Newsom on the outside. So Sam Howell in Washington is, again, one of my favorite picks in this class and someone that will also compete. And now you got three guys in the building and Carson, Taylor Heineke, and Sam, where they're all going to be battling for snaps. Now Wentz and Howell are going to be learning new offenses. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Howell ended up in street clothes for potentially half of the season while he learns the offense. And Taylor Heineke is the primary backup because he's obviously proven that he can start and back up in this league. Um, but I think, you know, the Taylor Heineke, so to, so to say, the experiment is over with, unfortunately, in this last year and a half of, of burgundy and gold football. But Sam Howell is a heck of a developmental project. And again, he's not a second-round pick. He's not a third-round pick. You got him in the fifth round, and he's a ton of value. He's insurance for Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz doesn't work out this year. Fine. Throw Sam Howell in there in year two and see what he does. Let him learn this year. Maybe he gets some snaps towards the back end of the year if he's popping in practice or he comes out in the preseason, he's dicing teams up. Now, granted, he won't be working against the ones probably in the preseason, but let the kid get some opportunities. And you look at his film, his ability to have clean feet, easy gas with his arm down the field, ability to drive throws over linebackers into tight windows. A lot of those skills translate to the next level. And then you look at the receivers again that are in Washington and Terry and Curtis Samuel and you add Jahan Dotson and Deami Brown and maybe you throw in a Cam Sims or you have Dax Mill maybe potentially get some reps. You talk about the tight end room and we'll get to this next pick here in a minute. And you have Logan Thomas, hopefully he's healthy. You have JD out of the backfield. You have Antonio Gibson. Maybe Brian Robinson develop, develops into a pass catcher a little bit more. That's a ton of weapons right away for Sam Howell. And we look across this league with younger quarterbacks that have all of these guys around them, right? Teams trying to build around them from the outside in sometimes. Washington's already built up their front five, a veteran front five. They just added Trey Turner, guard from the Steelers and formerly of the Panthers yesterday. Someone has five Pro Bowls under his belt, 28 years old, another front five. Washington's offense right now could potentially be in the top half of the league considering the defenses that they might face. 
and projecting Sam Howell if Carson Wentz does not work out and he's able to show some pop like I mentioned. I'm extremely excited to see him play. Now, a few scouts I talked to in the last 12 months mentioned that Sam was a little bit lethargic, but you know, this was you know eight, nine, you know, ten months ago. And a lot can change in that time frame, as we know, in Washington at the quarterback spot, especially. But I don't get that impression from Sam Howell at all. I think he's somebody that players will rally around both within the hashes and in the locker room. And I'm extremely excited to see his development. And then on to the next pick with in the fifth round. Washington takes tight end Cole Turner, tight end from Nevada. And initially this pick kind of, it scares me towards Logan Thomas's health. And after taking John Bates last year, tight end from Boise State, a guy that's more of an inline blocker right now. He was an absolutely dominant blocker last year as a rookie. He was arguably the best blocking tight end, you know, rookie tight end in football last fall. But adding Cole Turner, I got, you know, get some eyes on him at the senior bowl as well. The biggest thing with him is separation. Another big body, six foot five, but he understands the optics of creating some separation at the top of his routes by boxing out linebackers, safeties, and smaller corners. And he did that consistently at Nevada. And he was Carson Strong's second favorite target alongside Romeo Dubs in that Wolfpack offense. But again, Cole Turner is a big guy. He's also got the best hair in this class, which matters. Those are the intangibles that matter, folks. Hair, 100%. But... I'm really excited to see Cole Turner work alongside Thomas and Bates because those are three guys that you got in this offense now that can catch the ball downfield. And if anything, you run some 12 personnel with Thomas on the other side. And again, explain myself, 12 personnel is two tight ends. So one running back, two tight ends equals 12 personnel. So Logan Thomas on one side, Cole Turner on the opposite side, whether in the red zone, want to throw it up to him, six foot five in the end zone. Now, I don't want to talk about fade routes because all of our Washington fans know it back to the Josh Dotson days. Just throw fades in the red zone, right, and see how it works out when Jay Gruden was calling plays. But now Cole Turner is an actual legit red zone target. He understands, again, the optics of you know boxing out players and creating some separation at the top of his routes. These guys are also extremely young in comparison to when they're, who they're going to be four, five, six years down the road. His game is going to blossom. I think he's tough. I don't think he's going to offer an extreme amount of pop in the in, you know blocking and in the run game right now. He's a bigger body that I think he can work on, but he has a long way to go in comparison to John Bates in that aspect. But John Bates has a long way to go in comparison to Matt Turner as far as a dynamic downfield weapon. So Cole Turner in the fifth round, I think is a heck of an amount of value. It was a deep tight end class this year and Cole Turner was good at the senior bowl. I didn't think he popped as much as a Greg Dulcich tight end out of UCLA that went to Denver or an Isaiah Likely tight end out of Coastal Carolina that Baltimore took in the fourth round. But I think he's going to have some success. I think he's going to work into some snaps and again, more competition at the position. So now we're on to the back end of the selection process. And usually this is a round where teams take BPA, best player available, doesn't matter the position, someone that you want to take a flyer on and hopefully you strike gold on. They don't work out, they don't work out. But if they do, then you look like a genius. And this is a great pick right here. And the first pick in the seventh round for Washington was interior lineman Chris Paul from Tulsa. Not the basketball legend with the point guard for the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul, but the lineman from Tulsa and Chris Paul and Tyler Smith from Tulsa got a lot of the attention this year. Dallas took him in the first round as a lineman that has an extreme amount of tools. And I have thoughts on that pick as well and how much, you know, technical refinement he has ways to go. I think he's the biggest bully 
along the front five in this entire class. And again, Dallas loves splash picks, and that fits Jerry Jones's you know script as far as grabbing guys with splash and Tyler Smith in the first round. But Chris Paul will add a ton of depth for Washington's interior line. And then you look back at what happened yesterday with the signing of Trey Turner. And initially for me, it was Wes Schweitzer starting at right guard, and I was absolutely fine with that. But now with Turner in the building, Wes Schweitzer's moved to a depth role. And now you have Chris Paul in the building with kind of that swing guard potential because he played left guard, he played left guard, or excuse me, played left guard, played right guard. And he potentially had to play, could play some center for you in an emergency situation. Now, would I want that? No. I think he's a guard 100% at the next level. But Washington needed depth at that position because behind Schweitzer, it wasn't anybody that really moves the needle at all as far as someone that you could rely on coming in and being potentially that swing guard. Now, Sadiq Charles is also another guy that will battle for some snaps within the interior. But again, that's kind of the mantra of this draft. Battle and compete for snaps, especially as a depth piece. Now it's Schweitzer, Charles, and Chris Paul challenging for snaps with each other within the interior. And you add that depth because we just saw last year how many bodies and shuffling of positions Washington had to experience along that front five. And I feel like it's a commonality on every single pod that I have to mention John Matsko's name, offensive line coach for Washington. But the job that he did last year, now you get him some extra bodies. You add Trey Turner, Wes Schweitzer's back. You lost Eric Flowers. You lost Brandon Sheriff. But you got some depth there now. And you had, like I said, you got Trey Turner at right guard. You got a veteran offensive line. Andrew Norwell at left guard. Chase Roulier's back at center. You got some depth there now. I like Chris Paul. I think he's got heavy legs, and I mean that in the best way possible. Usually when I think of heavy legs or guys with thick ankles, they can't move a lot. Um, Chris Paul is not as athletic or as a Schweitzer or as an Andrew Norwell or even as athletic as Sadiq Charles coming out of school when he was coming out of LSU and Washington drafted him, but someone that has an extremely heavy anchor and wins with leverage. And as we know in the NFL, in football in general, it doesn't matter if you're talking about peewee all the way up to NFL, Leverage is the name of the game. And someone that plays with leverage is, is Chris Paul to a T. Consistently wins with leverage and ability to sink his hips, sink his butt, stick his feet in the ground, and be able to win with his hands. And he consistently wins first. Rarely on tape did you see defensive linemen get their hands on him first and be able to control him and stack and shed him. He was consistently winning with his hands within the breastplate of the defender and establish, establishing those big feet in the ground. And he was immovable. And I think that's a trait to work on and, and work towards the future. By no means is he going to be a guy that's going to be mauling three tech defensive tackles four or five yards down the field. But especially in the pass game, he can be able to just sink those hips, dig his feet in the ground. As someone with developmental tools working along with you know, alongside a veteran front five, they could be coming to potentially a, potentially a starter maybe two, three years down the road or just be a you know a above average backup in this league. And then to round out their class, is corner Christian Holmes from Oklahoma State. Now, a name I'm probably, a lot of you guys out there are pretty unfamiliar with, but Oklahoma State defense last fall, and usually when you look at Big 12 defenses, it's, you know, that's not really the the aptitude, right, of that league. That is an offensive league, the air raid, slinging around, score 45 a game, it's most points wins, and defenses, you know, kind of our second thought. But for Oklahoma State, and for Baylor last year in the Big 12, two of the most underrated defenses in college football. And Oklahoma State had three defensive players taken last year, or this year, excuse me. Malcolm Rodriguez went to Detroit. Devin Harper, linebacker, went to Houston. And Washington took Christian Holmes in the seventh round to kind of round out the draft class. Someone that transferred in from Missouri, an SEC program, 
And six foot, 200 plus pounds, long, athletic, going to be you know, having some snaps on special teams right away. But you can never have enough corners. And by no means is he going to challenge like Benjamin St. Just for a potential CB3 or a CB4 role right now. But kind of the back end towards Danny Johnson, Cornelder, they lost Tory McTire this year in the offseason. Kind of that back end of the roster and guys that, you know, he may have, if he makes the roster, you know, will have 80% of his snaps come on special teams. But we know that's important. And again, a guy that has experience within the Big 12 and was the glue on the back end of that Oklahoma State defense, you couldn't really go wrong here. And actually really happy with the value that they grabbed there with Holmes. Good athlete, can tackle his tail off, will compete for you, and again, offer value on special teams and on defense. So as excited as I was about especially Washington's day three, I love the Sam Howell pick. I like Cole Turner. I think he'll be a good player. Chris Paul adds depth, and then Christian Holmes is kind of a multiversatile positional player on special teams and defense. I also wanted to talk about two of the UDFAs. And I'm extremely excited about. And before I get, you know, kind of too far over my head and make you guys extremely excited about the, you know, the words and descriptions about how to just describe these players, um, you know, they are UDFAs. And common saying goes, if they were that good, you know, they would be drafted. So obviously these guys have concerns and the league has concerns as far as where their pro projection immediately comes from. But two guys I wanted to talk about was wide receiver Jaquez Azard from Sam Houston State, a guy that was a late add to the Senior Bowl. And... Sam Houston State put out some pop this year because Zion McCollum, corner, was one of my most underrated prospects in this entire class, one of the freak athletes of this class that eventually went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this draft. But Azard, I know you guys out there remember Brandon Banks, and I think Azard is not a souped-up Brandon Banks because Brandon was you know, 150 pounds soaking wet, could run with anybody in the league, and was strictly a special teams guy. But Azard is 5'11", nearly 200 pounds. He's got some of that bolster to his body that will allow him to kind of holster against that that physical nature of the NFL game in comparison to the college game. And Azard's coming from the Southland Conference where you know, you're not playing SEC guys. You're not playing ACC Big Ten guys. So seeing him at the Senior Bowl and then looking at his tape and what he was able to do for that Sam Houston State offense, he provides pop both at wideout and at kick return and punt returner. And Washington doesn't have that on their roster right now. And they lost DeAndre Carter. And you look at Azard and you look at DeAndre Carter, they could be very similar type players within this offense. And I'm extremely excited to see Azard work in mini, rookie minicamps and work into the offseason. Now, granted, you look at kind of his build and he's very similar as far as in stature to Curtis Samuel, Jamie Brown, McLaurin, and Jahan Dotson, kind of all these guys that hover around that six foot range, six foot one. But Again, Washington doesn't have a punt returner, a proven punt returner or kick returner. And Azar was a semifinalist for the Walter Payton Awards, basically the FCS's version of the Heisman. It's completely electric. You turn on his tape and you, you know he's going to open your eyes and, and potentially drop your jaw. And someone that can create with the ball in his hands and someone that deserves an opportunity. Very similar to Washington's UDFA signing of Jarrett Patterson running back out of Buffalo last year. Everybody kind of turns, you know, turns their head when they see Patterson, five foot eight, right, running back from Buffalo in the Mac small school, they turn their head. And Patterson worked into snaps this year and outbattled people for competition in the running backs room. When Antonio Gibson was down and JD McKissick was out, 
It was Jared Patterson and Jonathan Williams toting the rock for Washington last year. So for me, with Jaquez Azard, someone that's going to compete his tail off and someone that has the necessary ability and proven ability to take the ball the distance whenever the ball is in his hands. And I've been really excited to see him in camp. And then my guy, six foot seven quarterback Cole Kelly from Southeastern Louisiana. And I was on a podcast yesterday and I talked a little bit about him. He is someone that I am extremely intrigued about and not somebody that I think is going to be able to take over QB1 snaps. I think that would, I don't think that would be a good thing right now if you're, you know, signing UDFA and he, you know, in four months works into a starter's role. It's not going to happen, folks. But someone that you can work with from a developmental tool standpoint, again, six foot seven, transferred to Southeastern Louisiana from Arkansas, from a Power 5 program in the SEC, and completely lit it up. And that's the biggest thing for scouts is when they see these guys at these younger programs, these, these not so well-known programs, non-Power 5 schools, they got to light it up. And at the FCS level, Cole Turner had 60 total touchdowns last year. 6-0, folks. So he was dominant and then some. Six foot seven, clean feet, easy gas with his arm. Doesn't matter if he's throwing to his arm side or he's flipping his hips and throwing the other side of the field. He can do everything for you at the quarterback position and he's mobile. He had over 10 rushing touchdowns last year. Now, as a bigger body, by no means is he, even in this class, a Desmond Ritter, as far as that type of mobility or comparing him to a Josh Allen or even a Ryan Tannehill, as far as that mobility, but very similar to what Carson Wentz was pre-ACL as a bigger body to tackle in space. Again, he's 6'7". And when they go to rookie minicamp, you're going to be able to understand, you know, you'll know who he is right away. And then you start to see him move and you see his feet and you see his vision downfield, ability to read defenses. And you just see him rip the football. He can spin it with the best of them. And if there's one quarterback in this class, in my opinion, from a tools perspective, outside of Malik Willis, for me, the only guy that could challenge Malik with flat out tools on paper, I don't even misconstrued here, is Cole Kelly, the quarterback from Southeastern Louisiana that Washington signed as a UDFA. So now there's four quarterbacks in the building that... Washington could rely on. It's Carson Wentz. It's Taylor Heineke. It's Sam Howell. And then you got Cole Kelly that most likely will fill that Steven Montez role as a guy that will probably work on the practice squad. But someone, again, that has all the tools in the world, that is a developmental project that you know that they like, that you could potentially grow into something, whether he is a QB2 down the road, whether he potentially is backing up Sam Howell or he's a QB3. So that is someone that I am extremely, extremely excited about again. I feel like this is a common theme with, with guys that Washington took in this draft. I'm excited to see them work because we've talked about these players for so long. We were very high on Cole Kelly at TDN before you know heading into this draft with our final cross checks. But this is somebody that I could envision down the road challenging for a QB2 or QB3 role and someone that has all the tools in the world to progress into a heck of a talent. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Commanding the Huddle. Appreciate you guys always tuning in. It's great to be back from Vegas. We are all ball now. We've talked about these guys so long on paper. We can't wait for them to start cracking pads on offense, defense, getting some video on these guys, seeing them in the burgundy and gold. It's an exciting time these next few months leading into camp and into the regular season in just a few months' time. It's going to come quick. It's already, you know, we're in the meat of, of spring right now, June, July. The summer months are just a few months away. But as always, appreciate you tuning in. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your news, your podcasts, you can find us. 
Again, social media, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. That's, again, underscore Ryan Fowler. Talk to you guys soon. Appreciate you tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed the draft. Vegas was a treat. That was my first time out there in Vegas. I understand the hype now. The place is absolutely fantastic. If you guys have not been out to Vegas, any of you out there, make sure you put that on your checklist. But appreciate you guys again tuning in, and I will talk to you next time. This is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.